Bienvenidos a New Dentists on the Block. Welcome to New Dentists on the Block, a podcast featuring new dentists sharing their experiences in the world of dentistry, successes, challenges, and life in between, navigating dentistry together one experience at a time. Happy Hispanic Heritage Month. Feliz Mes Nacional de la Herencia Hispana. Hispanic Heritage Month is coming to a close, and in this episode, we have Dr. Eddie Ramirez. Eddie Ramirez is a dentist and advocate for undocumented students in the United States. Eddie was brought to the United States by his parents at the age of one and a half years old. The effect caused by his parents' decision to immigrate to the U.S. was not discovered until Eddie was nine, when he discovered he was undocumented. With everything opposing him, he had one dream, to become a dentist. He was the first undocumented DACA student to be accepted into the dental program at the Oregon Health and Science University. Eddie has been vocal about his status and has worked to support other DACA students in pursuing their dreams of becoming healthcare professionals. He practiced at an FQHC focused on migrant communities for five years and recently transitioned to private practice. He dedicates his efforts to helping vulnerable populations and providing a voice for those who don't believe to have one. In addition, he stays active with the Oregon Dental Association and is a national leader with the American Dental Association. All while assuming he still has time to mentor and support students from all over the nation and be an example that dreams can come true, even without legal status. Eddie is another one of my dear ASTA friends, and it was so wonderful to hear his story. You're gonna love it. Let's get into today's episode. Eddie Ramirez, welcome to New Dennis on the Block. How are you doing today? Bien, gracias por tenerme. Thanks for having Ooh, me. Es, estoy emocionada. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast to reconnect with you. It's been many, many years. Uh, we're all grown up, Dennis. You know, we're doing living the Are dream. My white hair showing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Eddie and I are uh, uh, two friends who met in ASDA, you know, good ASDA land that um, their guests have also been on from from ASDA, from our time in ASDA. And I'm just so excited to reconnect with you and to share your story with our listeners. Uh, but we've, before we delve into that, I would love if you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm Eddie Ramirez, as I said, you know, we are, I've known Tanya since ASDA days, which was some time ago. Yeah, a little um, I'm bit. Practicing bit. <laughs> just a little bit. I'm practicing over in Oregon. Was in public health until recently, where I just transitioned over to private practice. So I'm in the transition period from you know working on FQHC now into a private practice setting, where I'm still taking my passion for you know public health, um, and you know still taking some incorporating some Medicaid into my practice. So that's a little bit about like my clinical summary, and yeah, very cool. Um, so for you, did you do any kind of uh, like program repayment program with the FQHC while you were there. So it's an interesting story. So I was one of the fortunate ones to have my school paid for by a public health scholarship. Oh, okay. So yeah. I had tuition covered and I owed service time. So okay. I had a five year public health commitment. So yes, I did get some repayment, but it was like in time, not in money. If that makes sense. Well, I did get the oh, money, sure. but I just owed right, the time. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who, who was it? Who was it with? Yeah, so it was uh, a bill passed through the Oregon State Legislature called the Scholars for a Healthy Oregon Initiative, where their intent was to bring, um, you know, Oregonians into the rural public health sector for programs at OHSU's um, MD program. I think it was uh, PA, DMD, and I want to say they're nursing, but it was selective programs that once you got into the programs, you could apply for this scholarship, and I was one of the recipients. I was actually the first cohort, so... 
Very cool. Yeah. So I, I mean, I did something similar, obviously, with the NHSC. So different, not state, uh, more federal. But more states should have programs like this. I know that Texas used to have it like around 2015. No, I think even before that. Uh, and they're trying to bring it back. But, you know, funding's always an issue. But it's so important. H- how did it's, you enjoy your time at the FQHC? Oh, I, it was, I loved it. I loved it. You know, I always thought that I wanted to go into a residency to get more experience. Yeah. Um, but that FQHC was a residency within itself. You know, Absolutely. it really, it really got me comfortable doing the clinical dentistry, and I was working with the Latino population. You know, the mm-hmm. history on the health center that I used to work for was Virginia Garcia, and it originated from an eight-year-old girl who passed away because she had a wound that got infected, and she just went septic. Um, and so we really focused on access to care, but not just access to care, but interdisciplinary health. So we worked with our medical, mental, mental health and pharmacy counterparts. So it was very collaborative, which mm-hmm. I think now that I'm in the private practice, like I miss Epic because mm-hmm. like Epic shows me everything, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. now I'm like, wait, where's the health history form? But, um, I think, you know, it's, it's a different type of mentality. I think in the dental schools we're trained on that interdisciplinary care. So when I went to the mm-hmm. FQHC, like. I was practicing just that and, you know, and also incorporating like trauma informed care. And we worked with a lot of, you know, migrant refugee communities and it, it, it has, it had its challenges, but it, I, I enjoyed working with them thoroughly. Yeah. Hey, as far as being at an FQHC, I completely agree. We have our medical doctors next door and, you know, I can, I can see the medical history that the patient has, you know, how, however extensive extensive it is it's really nice to be able to review that but also if i need a consult i can just have them like pop next door or if we have a medical emergency they can come over which is really really nice for you uh what made you decide to move from an fkhc to private practice you know i think i've always been about growth and continuing my leadership continuing growth both as a clinician and as an individual and i think at my fqhc like i had grown as as much as i I could grow there and I wanted to just expand that skill set and I started exploring options and this opportunity presented itself and it's been a perfect, perfect spot for me. You know, I'm still contracted with the CCO. So our Medicaid in, in our state, you have Medicaid and then you have the care organizations that kind of run the program. So I'm still contracted with one. So it's like, I'm still doing what I'm doing. I'm still having to meet metrics and making sure, you know, we're seeing these patients um, while also adding like a private sector. So I get to expand my scope, but also do what I was doing. So it's, it's a very good balance and it's been great thus far. That sounds like a great place for you to be. I think that uh, you get kind of best of both worlds there. Exactly. Exactly. Eddie, I want to throw it back to our dental school days. And I would love if you would tell me and our listeners a little bit about your experience uh, with DACA. So dental school to me was very different. Um, I, I'm even going to take it back a little bit farther, Tanya, to okay. applying to yes. dental school. Okay? okay. Yeah, please, please. So, so I knew I always wanted to be a dentist. That was always a passion of mine. I was eight years old, went to Mexico, came back, said, I want to be a dentist. Little did I know what that really meant, both mm-hmm. on like how many school or how many years of school, what education path to go. But also I was undocumented at that time, mm-hmm. you know, just to get into college, I had a struggle because everything required a social security number, everything asked for us citizenship. And, you know, I was, and I always say use the word blessed because I was truly blessed to get into undergrad. 
where I had instructors who paid for my education, my high school instructors that were paying for my education to really push myself towards, towards everything. And then things started taking a turn in 2012. In 2012 was when former President Obama announced the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. It was really the first time that I was like, okay, this country is saying you belong. You're going to get something that says my name, my birth, my birthday, and it says United States of America on it. I said, this is going to solve everything. It's going to allow me to become a dentist and you know we're going to move, we're going to move forward with it. But that wasn't the case. I think everybody who received DACA just was just aware that you can legally work, but education facilities didn't know what it meant on the education side. Scholarships didn't know what that meant on the scholarship side. So when it came to applying to dental school, I always told myself that my mistake, I feel was my mistake in, in high school was not sharing my story. Because in high school, when I shared my story at graduation, um, what my post-secondary instructor pulled me into his office and said, why don't you tell me this at the beginning of the year? I could have helped you get scholarships. I could have, you know, you know gotten in. So I said, I'm not going to make that mistake in undergrad. So I went to my pre-dental advisor and I said, hey, like, I wasn't documented. I'm now under DACA and I want to go into dental school. Do you know who I can connect with or help me out? Their response was, you need to find another career. Wow. So right from the get-go, I was discouraged to mm. go to dental school. And that was like, well, like, that's not what I wanted to hear. And I said, no, I this can't, this isn't the end. So I started, I started being my own mentor. I started reaching out to Dean of Admissions and playing the card of I'm working with a student who's under this situation. What can I tell her? I changed gender. I, I pretty much like covered the fact that it was me to try to get information. And I remember I got information and even contacted AdSense to see how I can fill out my application and everything. And so I filled out my application, applied to five schools, three automatically rejected without even looking at the application. Why? Because they said, we don't know what DACA is. We can't take you. You're an international student. We don't take international students. Um, you can't pay for it. So why are we going to take students that can't afford it? And it was just, it was just reasons, you know, and it was heartbreaking to get rejected without that fair evaluation. Mm -hmm. I was really fortunate enough to get interviewed at Oregon Health and Science University, which is where I ended up going. Mm -hmm. And so went to my interview and I, I'll, I will always say his name and he knows I will always say it. Mark Mitchell, if you're listening to this, like, you know, I owe this a lot of this to you. But I remember he came up to me during my interview and he said, you know what, Eddie, like, I just want you to know that your situation is not a limitation on whether or not you get in. He's like, I want you to go to your interview as normal. Just, just go. Right. And so I go there and then he's like, but we are going to have to talk about paying for it. Mm -hmm. He's like, but, but don't worry. I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about paying for it. Just do your interview. Finished my interview two weeks later, ended up becoming the first undocumented doctor student to be accepted into the program. Wow. You know, like just like that, I got that, that notification that I've been accepted and, of course, I'm such an emotional baby. Like I was crying. I was just like <laughs> very emotional, right? But then it came to the reality on financing it. Mm -hmm. 
And at that point in time, I was working in Portland State Admissions. And by now, Mark had told me to apply for the Scholars for a Healthy Organ Initiative. And I applied. At the same time, I was applying for loans, but they were rejecting me because I didn't have legal status. Um, It came to April, and I will remember this day forever, April 21st, 2014. I walked into work at the admissions office and I told my, my boss and I said, hey, you know what? I made the decision that I'm going to withdraw from the program. And she said, why are you withdrawing? I was like, I I can't pay for it. Mm-hmm. Like school starting three, four months from now, I really need to solidify what I'm going to do next year. And at this point, you know, the admissions office had offered me employment with prospects for a master's program. I said, this is the way I have to go. This is mm-hmm. the way I have to go. I will become a dentist later. My path isn't now. My time isn't now. Everything. It's that day that Mark called me and said I had been awarded the scholarship. Uh. I'm going to cry now too. <laughs> that's so emotional. That's, that's, you, you, wow. That's, that's beautiful. It, yeah. it was just like, I'm going to go like, yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And so there I went, you know, became now the first undocumented student to get accepted, matriculate and, you know, officially oh my goodness. be on campus, Yeah, be on campus. You know, I was really excited. I was really excited, but man, was it hard on you. Oh, I'm sure. And and, yeah. and I'm not talking about hard. You and I know the curriculum really well. For sure. Yeah, of course. But I had to work. I had to work 20 to 40 hours on top really? of the curriculum. Yeah. So what Fridays, were you doing? Mm-hmm. Fridays, I would have to leave clinic by five. And I was playing, taking public transit because I worked at a restaurant. So I would work at the restaurant from 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. Friday night. Saturday night, I worked at a dental office as a dental assistant eight to three and Saturday night, 6 PM to 2 AM again at the restaurant. So while all my classmates are out studying or socializing or everything, like Mm -hmm. I had to work, I had to work and Sundays were my quote unquote study days or rest days. And I'm not going to lie to you. Like sometimes I chose to sleep. Yeah. Your body. Because I am. Absolutely. My body needed it. And that was a struggle my first two years because I felt very disconnected to my class. Because I was going to school, going to work, going to school, going to work, studying. Um, it, it wasn't really until third year where the didactics start cutting back, where you're focusing more on patient care, that I started kind of feeling a, a connection with, with my classmates, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I did that for all four years. But then it was the beginning of my fourth year. And that's where, again, it was this like, what if now? So I remember I was in Klamath Falls, which is Klamath Falls, Oregon, which is five hours from Portland. I live in the Portland area. I was on rotation. And I remember the Trump administration there made an announcement that they were rescinding the DACA program. So this was August 2017. I was set to graduate June 2018. And it, it was like a emotional because when I was away from my family, I was away from my friends where I was realizing on my own that I was potentially going to graduate and not be able to practice. Because DACA gave me a social security number. DACA Mm -hmm. gave me employment authorization. And now it was like, what do I do now? Like if I don't have legal authority to work, then was this all for nothing? And so from there I had to say, you know what? I'm going to keep finishing up my program. And again, I said, if it, if it wasn't meant to be, my timeline isn't now, then okay, 
be it, you know? I was really lucky and fortunate that I was invited to be part of the, the lawsuits to bring DACA back again. Um, DACA was reinstated for renewals. As you know, to this day, um, new applications are not being taken. It's just renewals. So I was able to continue renewing my work authorization. And with that, I was able to graduate June of 2018. And now adding, you know, first DACA student to graduate and be the first practicing DACA dentist in the state of Oregon. Mm-hmm. Which sounds amazing and it sounds good on paper, but it 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 sucked. It sucked. Why? Because now I'm in the real world and this can be taken away from me mm-hmm. at any mm-hmm. point in time. Mm-hmm. It already happened before. So I had to start practice with this potential, like I can be working, Mm -hmm. but then not working. And then I had to start looking at alternatives of employment and working with my FQHC and say, hey, like if DACA were to rescind me, can you hire me as a business? Can you hire me as an independent contractor? Um, At the same time, I had a five-year public health commitment. I'm like, if I can't repay if I can't repay in time, I have to repay in money, but how am I going to repay in money if I can't legally work? So it was, I've always had to prepare for the what ifs, the, the what's coming. And so that was, that was a struggle in dental school. And even those, those years out. I, I had no idea that you worked in dental school. No clue. How did you do ASDA? Yeah, I made it That's- all work. That's that's crazy. And and I I personally love that you were very vocal about your status throughout dental school. You know, from from a distance, I feel like I followed that journey. I was a cheerleader from a distance. Obviously, I I, I had no impact on what I could do. But I, I remember your posts when the Trump administration came out saying that they were resenting it and the fear that you conveyed and the posts that you put. And honestly, it invoked anger. Like that's so frustrating. All that work, all that struggle end on a decision that one person makes crazy absolutely crazy and i remember i think it was as the house of 2017 that i brought the resolution to support undocumented students and you know i was i started being like we have to you know support all our colleagues regardless of like their immigration status you know and i remember said i'm we're the american student dental association not the american student dental association just for those with appropriate immigration right. status, you know? Yeah. And that's why I pushed that resolution, which ended up passing. And since then, like I've I've really focused my efforts on working with with these students. I'm a part of an organization called Pre-Health Dreamers, which I'm on their advisory board. Um, I work with all the dental students. I've been able to help students get into University of Maryland, USC, um, Loma Linda. Um, I have like four or five students that are applying right now. And right now, the struggle that I'm going through is a couple things. One is because DACA isn't taking new applications, now I'm working with what we call DACA-eligible students. So these are students that are just undocumented. They don't have access to get DACA because they can't submit their application. So they're just full-on undocumented, but they want to be dentists. Hmm. So it's now like, okay, how do I work with them and now educate dental schools and dental programs that they can still take these students. You know, in October of last year, I was able to present to a DIA with the pre-health dreamers organization 
just share what I'm sharing here, but also educate um, admissions representatives from all over the country on what it means to be DACA, what it means to be undocumented, to stop using money as an excuse for not getting these students. Because I told them this is an equity issue. I was like, unless you're evaluating, unless you're evaluating all applications on whether or not they're going to pay, then okay, I I will stand back. But from my understanding, we're not evaluating applicants based on their ability to pay. We're looking at DAT, GPA, involvement, you know, Mm -hmm. we look at all that. Paying is not one of the the checkoffs whether or not you get in. So I've been able to work with students all over the country. It's honestly an honor to get emails from people that are like, oh, hi, Dr. Ramirez, my name is so-and-so. Um, I Googled DACA dentist and you came up and this is my story. I want to be a dentist. And I love working with those students, which connects to my second issue where recently I've been able to get my green card. I got my green card through marriage to my husband. I love my husband, babe. If you're listening to this, you know I love you. Um, but at the same time, it's like, why was marriage my only route to get my green card? And I think people don't recognize what it takes to get a green card. You can't just go and take the citizenship test and become a citizen. You have to have a green card for first, and you have to meet the the requirements. You have to meet the requirements there to be able to, you know, get that green card. And so when I do presentations, I, I pull up the green card application. I, I'm like, tell me which of these categories I fit in. And the answer is always none of them. You know, I'm so glad that, you know, I've been able to go back down to Mexico that I hadn't been back in 22 years. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to go to Spain, but at the same time, like I'm now no longer a DACA recipient, but now I'm an ally for the DACA students. I'm right. formerly right. undocumented. So now it's the question is my voice still as strong? Because I, would I say don't yes. want, and it, it concerns me because I don't want somebody to go up to one of the students that I'm working for and say, well, Eddie got married. Why don't you get married? Fair. Yeah. And people, and fair people, argument. And people have said that and people have said that. And that frustrates me because love is great, but these students are highly qualified. They're successful in their own way. So they deserve to just be here, be home. Mm -hmm. Out of curiosity, as Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've probably already brainstormed this, but if you could see, like, what would your ideal path be from, you know, being a DACA recipient to becoming a citizen? What what should that look like in your mind? Let's go back to... 2000, the year 2000, Okay. when the DREAM Act was first ah. proposed. Mm-hmm. The DREAM Act, so the, there's the concept of DACA and there's the concept of being a dreamer. A dreamer is defined as someone who would qualify for the DREAM Act, which was proposed back during former President W. Bush's administration. And it said that if you had graduated high school, you would be granted a temporary green card. Once you demonstrate that you have completed two years of military service or two years of college education, you would be eligible for your permanent green card, which that would be your entry to citizenship. Why not that for the students? Why did we get away from that? Politics? Hmm. Yeah. That's simply said, really. 
Yeah. That's really what it is. It, it, it would pass, and I can't remember specifically, I think it would pass in the House and then not the Senate or that, vice that, versa. You know, that just blows my mind because of like, uh, like who, per- well, I guess it, it was the administration, right? So not necessarily Bush who presented it. So it was the administration and it really just depends who had the majority at that point. Uh, but yeah, so I feel like we've just come so far from that time. Things have just become really, really toxic in the political setting on on all sides, uh, in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, that that seems reasonable. It, it's it's and everybody always talks about, you know, establish a rubric or, you know, have some qualifications or, you know, show that they're giving back. I'm like, DACA eligibles DACA students, even just the flat out undocumented individuals in this country, they're giving back. Oh, hundred percent. And you know, it, it, it brings up a bigger issue. It's not just the students. And I remember being in DC for the 10th anniversary of DACA. I left home early that trip because I didn't appreciate being segregated into an individual community within the undocumented community. It was like, you're a doctor, so you should be able to stay. But what does my title have to do with anything? If, if an individual is giving back to the community, going to school, hardworking, whatever it may be, our profession doesn't make us so we're, you know, enough to be a, a citizen. And that was really frustrating and heartbreaking to me that they're, even within like the advocacy that some organizations are doing, they're still kind of like grouping us. If you're, if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, don't base off professions, just base it off like giving back, being a part of the community. You know, we're American in every way, but paper. Very true. Um, I'm, I'm so glad that you stood your ground and said, hey, you know, I, I don't need to be segregated, secularized. Everyone is is the same. And it's true, you know, yes, our, our title's a great thing, but it doesn't make us any better than anyone else, especially when we're advocating for them, you know? I, I just, that's That's really sad to hear. And it's like, we always talk about like recognizing our privilege, you know, recognizing like the little privilege that we have. And I think it's something that I'm always cognizant of, you know, that yes, I have doctor in front of my title. I have DMD at the end of my name. Yes, I now have a green card, but like, I'm not, I'm, I'm talking to you without those titles. I'm just talking to you as Eddie Ramirez. I'm not talking to you as Dr. Ramirez. I'm not talking to you as, you know, um, Eddie Ramirez, DMD. I'm just talking to you as Eddie, you know, and I, always you know bring that up because we have to be aware of our privileges no matter what your privilege may be what can the layman meaning you know like myself somebody uh who was born and raised here somebody who is a citizen what what can we do to help i get this question all the time and i think you know just educating people on the reality of things i think you know simple things like you know sharing like hey you can't just become a citizen like did you know you know, you have to be a green card holder. Did you know to get a green card, you need this and this and this? I think just starting that awareness, and I know you yourself do advocacy as is already, but just really starting to dissipate some of those myths that are out there, mm. you know, and really showing what what, what the truth truly is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you helped that educate me here. There's a lot of th- there's a lot of things that I feel like I, I have a, a notion of and a concept of, and I feel like I try to read about it, especially as like you were posting things. But I I don't know the ins and outs of it. You live through it. I mean, you know it through and through. Yes, and I and I still learn to this day. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I have, I have just to give a little like backstory, even when um, my friends are adjusting their status um, under DACA, you can leave on what's called advanced parole, which is permission to leave the country and come back in, which I was able to do. You have to apply for humanitarian education or work re- reasons. And you get this paper that says you're allowed to leave the country after this date, but come back before this date. But it also says on there that when you re-enter the country, the officer has the jurisdiction and ability to not allow you back into the country. Oh my goodness. So I remember leaving to Mexico, March of 2022, like excited, I'm coming and going back to Mexico. Yeah. And I'm like, am I, depor- am I deporting myself? And yeah. then I remember Will like, I be able to come back? in Portland. It's all, it's all these questions. And then I land in Portland and I was like, okay, like let's, let's go in here. And then, us Latinos say there's a little cuartito, the secondary room inspection. And everyone's like, you're going to get put in the cuartito. And I'm like, okay. And then they and then they put me in this cuartito. And I'm just like, okay, like sitting like, like you're very like, what's going to happen? I kid you not, Tanya. I had four or five friends ready with my attorney's information. I had oh a pre-planned text. I had a pre-planned oh, text to send out to this group in case they were saying like, no, you're not going to be allowed back in. I had told my friends, like, in the case that I don't get allowed back in, I'm most likely going to be sent to the Tacoma Detention Center. That's the first one to call. If, like, I'll try to get you my, like, I was prepared for, for the worst. The worst. Mm-hmm. For the worst, you know? Luckily, none of that happened. Mm-hmm. But we still have to go through that. And to this day, when I'm passing through customs, I'm still scared. I shouldn't be scared anymore. But it's just like this fear that's been engraved in us for sure it's like, okay, yeah it's like, traumatic it's traumatic so I'm, I'm i'm getting over it i'm getting over that now but um here here we say because mo- most people um cross the bridge you know through their vehicle we say uh van a sacar los perros because they bring out the the big old dogs to, to sniff through the cars <laughs> but yes I, I am so glad that, you know, you're, you're vocal with your story and that you're still so supportive of everyone going through, through their own journey. Um, I, I'm, I'm so happy that, you know, you, you were successful in getting through all of that, that you and I were able to kind of cross paths and as a, that I, I can call you friend because I, I just, I mean, life just can be so different, right? Like if that, if all of that didn't line up for you, where would you be? Right? Who knows? I don't know. I, Who knows? Yeah. I, I don't know. I really don't know. It's like, it's like making the decision. Like now that I got back to go to Mexico, like I also asked myself if my parents hadn't made the decision to come to the U S what would I have been down in Mexico? Would I have had the same upbringing? Would I have had that same passion? I don't know. Who knows? I, I think you'd probably still be a dentist. Maybe. <laughs> or doing something else. You'd be a, a you'd work at a bakery for sure. <laughs> not, my husband works at a bakery. So <laughs> does he really? I love yeah. it. That's perfect. It's a great career. I mean, bread all year round, uh, all the different kinds. I mean, um, that's not a not a bad career. Give me a sure. cuernito. Give me a concha. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and now I know where to go when I come visit um, Oregon. I'll come visit you all and get to go to the bakery. That's so funny. I love there you that. go. Well, Eddie, uh, you know, I, I know that both of us are very, very um, proud of being Hispanic, Latino. And, and right now during Hispanic Heritage Month, for you, what does it mean to be a Latino Hispanic here in the United States and in the profession? I think being a Latino, is it's really important to just remember your roots, remember your language, be proud of hablar español, tener el idioma. You know, it's sad to see these newer generations lose their ability to speak Spanish. And I think we bring a different perspective. We bring 
culture. We bring salsa, merengue, bachata, like yes. it, everything, you know? And we bring the sazón. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and I think it's just, it's important to celebrate all of us. And I think it's also, and I would say as a Mexican, that we always remember that we're not celebrating being Mexican. We're celebrating being Latino, which means mm -hmm. Cuban, Dominican, right. Boricua, Colombian. Like we're, we all have, we all speak Spanish. We all have different values and cultures and we need to celebrate them and be proud of them. Para los que no están escuchando y nada más hablan español, te voy a preguntar la misma pregunta. Para ti, ser hispano, ser latino aquí en Estados Unidos, en nuestra profesión, ¿qué significa para ti? Significa representar lo que es nuestra raza, dijéramos los, los mexicanos, pero seguir saliendo ese sabor, como dices, el sazón, esa energía, esa cultura, esa positividad, porque tenemos ambiente, tenemos ambiente, tenemos que celebrar ese ambiente, tenemos que celebrar esa cultura y también invitar a todo, todos los que están alrededor de nosotros a que sean parte de esta cultura. Uh -huh. Absolutely. Whether they are part of the culture or not, we need to embrace our culture and share it with others because we know how fun and delicious it is. Um, and exactly. It's great to share with others and to learn from other cultures as well, too, to embrace everyone, whatever their backgrounds and differences are. I think that that's the beauty of America. You know, it's that melting pot that should be celebrated. A hundred percent. Eddie, I have enjoyed our time in, in talking and reconnecting and, and you sharing your story If our listeners would like to connect with you, what's the best way? Uh, follow me on social media at dental underscore Eddie. That's E-D-D-I-E, -D -D -E, not Y, E-D-D-I-E. -E. Or, you know, that's the best way. Follow me on there. Send me a message. Um, if you're an uh, undocumented student or DACA student listening to this, you know, connect with me through there. Also connect with Free Health Dreamers. Um, we're at PhD, PH Dreamers on Instagram and we'll, I will connect you with a cohort of students who are on your same shoes wanting to be dentists. Or if you want to be a doctor, I have those too. Eddie's the right person for that, but if I can serve <laughs> in any way as an outlet to help support you in your journey to becoming whatever professional you'd like to be, please let me know because we know a lot of people and I'm sure we can find the right <laughs> connection for you. Between Eddie and I, I'm yeah. sure we can find anyone to help exactly. you. So uh, please don't feel weird in reaching out. We care about helping. That's that's kind of one of the reasons I, I put this podcast together. I want to share the story of my fellow peers. Everyone has a story to share. And everyone has different pearls in their lives that have really uh, changed them and that they learn from that I feel that others can learn from as well, too. So, Eddie, thank you again for your time. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of New Dentists on the Block. If you'd like to connect with Eddie Ramirez, you can find him on Instagram, dental underscore Eddie. If you'd like more information about pre-health dreamers, you can find them on Instagram at phdreamers. You can connect with me on Instagram at tsmaestas.dds. If you have a dentist that you would like to see on this podcast, be sure to follow us and send a DM on Instagram at New Dentists on the Block. Please sure to subscribe and leave a review for this podcast. We'll catch you next time.